We've entered December now. Are your lights up? Do you have a tree yet? Are you thinking about giving gifts? Or maybe you're thinking about receiving gifts. Pastor Trent Griffith says, God gives his children special gifts to you, but they're gifts with a purpose. I want you to understand when it comes to spiritual gifts, you are not given spiritual gifts to use on yourself. God gives you spiritual gifts so you can make much of Jesus. Every spiritual gift is to be re-gifted and use it to serve other people. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Over the last couple of months here on Resonate, Pastor Trent has been helping us understand what the Bible teaches about the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and third, God the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you think of yourself as a spiritual person or not, but you are. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has made your spirit come to life, and that is incredible. And beyond that, He lives inside of you. Plus, He gives you your own unique set of gifts to use in building up His people and shining His light. That is really amazing. We call the series we're in, Help, because the Holy Spirit is our helper. Today, we'll learn more about the spiritual gifts that He gives us. Here's Pastor Trent. Here's what we're gonna learn. The Holy Spirit, after, as He's making me holy, the Holy Spirit begins to make me useful. And the way that He makes me useful is by imparting spiritual gifts. So here's the big idea of the message. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to spiritual people. Let's begin by reading the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me just tell you, I'm going to kind of skip along the surface of three different chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's all the same subject on spiritual gifts. We'll look at some of the verses, don't have time to cover all of it. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Can I just say, as your pastor, I don't want you to be uninformed either. So do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm informing you about spiritual gifts. And so as much as the Apostle Paul didn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed, I don't want you to be uninformed either. So I want you to look down here at verse 4. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a varieties of activities in the church, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. How many of you could use some empowerment this morning? Well, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does to spiritual people through spiritual gifts. Do you see the word there back up in verse one, spiritual gifts? The the Greek word behind those two words is simply the word charismata. It's not a bad word. It just simply means gifts of grace. And so he wants us to be informed about these things. If you have been made alive by the Spirit of God, you have been given a gift by the Spirit of God. Every true believer has at least one spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, you look down at verse seven. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you've been made alive, you've been given a gift. And if you are uninformed about your spiritual gift, you're, you're going to actually be dangerous in a way that's not good to the church. So let's define this, just kind of summarize. What is a spiritual gift? Let's give it this definition. A spiritual gift is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability given to every believer for the purpose of building up the church. Now, if you are uninformed about spiritual gifts, you will not make the effort or expend the energy of building up the church. You'll sit on the sidelines while everybody else is working hard through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve you. I hope that's not you. If you're a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, hey, get off the sideline, get in the game. If you're not a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, we're glad you're here. We're here to serve you through the empowerment of the spiritual gift. Another thing that will happen when you are uninformed about the spiritual gifts is you might try to build up the church in the flesh. And that is dangerous. As a matter of fact, you'll actually do more harm than good serving in the flesh, disconnected from the power of the Spirit. Now let me just say as we begin this message, not everyone agrees on the use or the purpose or even the validity of spiritual gifts in the church today. As a matter of fact, my favorite pastors, my favorite theologians can't even agree what these spiritual gifts are. I don't even agree with the younger me on what spiritual gifts are or how they should be used in the church. So can I just this morning ask for a little grace, a little, little sympathy for the pastor here this morning? I am trying the best I can to grow in my understanding, to be informed by the scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as to actually how these gifts operate in the church. So all in favor of a little grace for the pastor as he tries to deal with one of the hardest subjects in the Bible this morning. All right. So that's where we're going today. And let me just say this, that traditionally Christians and churches have aligned themselves into about three different groups in how we interpret the scripture on the spiritual gifts. The first group is what we will call extreme charismatics. Now, the word charismata is not a bad word. The word charismatic is not a bad word. It's simply the adjective that says we want to be empowered by the spiritual gifts. But this group, the extreme charismatics, they really focus a lot on the miraculous sign gifts, including gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues, divine healing. And they tend to drift away from the written, objective word of God into subjective, ecstatic experiences. Some extreme charismatics believe in the necessity of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit after conversion. Others would believe that speaking in tongues is actually the proof of salvation, and until you've spoken in tongues, you can't honestly claim that you've actually been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Others in this group would include, for lack of a better term, the word faith movement, 
name it, claim it. That teaching results in a prosperity gospel that teaches that God wants everybody to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Names in this category would include Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, and the majority of everybody you see on quote-unquote Christian television. They kind of own the Christian television market there. Those are the extreme charismatics. Now listen, there are people in the church today, and even people that raised their hands a few minutes ago, you, you've come from that background, and you, you feel right at home in harvest, but you feel most comfortable during the worship time. And I mean, there's all this energy and people are emoting and hands are in the air and you're like, yes, I love this church. And then you endure the preaching. So um, (laughs) welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, all right? Now there's a second group. The second group is what we would call cessationists. Cessationists are a group of believers that believes that the sign gifts, gifts of divine healing and prophecy and the gift of tongues, that those ceased in the age of the apostles and the completion of the Bible. Now, they believe that the gifts of healing and prophecy and tongues, yeah, that all happened because we can read it here in the scripture, the written record of what happened in the first century. They just don't believe that you should expect or desire those gifts to continue into the age of the church that we're now living in. And they defend this, a lot of them defend it, based on actually what is written in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians beginning in verse 7. If you're there, just flip the page and you can see it here in verse 7. They say, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. That's where we get the word cessationist from. The prophecies will cease. You see, it's right there. It says the prophecies are going to pass away. The tongues are going to cease. And for for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so they would say, see right there, it says that this stuff's going to stop. And it tells us when it's going to stop. It says it's going to stop when the perfect comes. So the question is, what is the perfect? A lot of cessationists would say, well, it's very clear. It is the perfect written record of God's word. It's the canon. You see, when the apostles spoke, man, they wrote it down and now we have this complete record. And because we have our Bibles, we really don't need a revelation from prophecy or tongues and all these these sign gifts because we have it here in the Holy Bible. The only problem with that is it's really bad hermeneutics, the study of what it actually says. You see the word perfect there in verse 10? That is not talking about the word of God. That is talking about the coming of the son of God. When Jesus comes back, of course, tongues and prophecy and all these sign gifts are going to cease because he's going to make it all perfect. He is the perfect one and he's going to, he's going to put every, all the created order back in its proper place. So cessationists would believe there's no use, there's no expectation, you shouldn't desire the sign gifts. The leading proponent of this position is someone that we love and respect for his expositional teaching. It's, it's John MacArthur. And so um, he's in that camp. There's a third group. 
Oh, by the way, if you're from the cessationist crowd, you're loving this right now because we're talking about the words and what they mean and we're flipping through three chapters of scripture and you just endured the worship time to get to this part. That's where you're from. Now, most of us, I, I think, I, I'm looking out there, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, most of you, you kind of came out of that teaching. I, I came from that kind of a church. I was told more about what the Holy Spirit could no longer do than what the Holy Spirit actually could do. Is that kind of where you came from? Yeah, so you probably came out of that crowd. Well, there's a third group, and we would call that group continuationist. And this group would believe that all of the gifts that we see in Scripture continue until this day, and they should be desired, and they should be at use in the church. But they must be practiced within the boundaries of Scripture. People representing this group are people that we would respect. John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Matt Chandler, and a host of others. This is a growing group of people. Now, in these three categories, we find people in our church. As a matter of fact, even on our pastoral team and our staff, we have people from all of the different backgrounds on our, on our staff. Pastor Nathan, our pastor of community, um, he actually graduated from Master's Seminary, John MacArthur School out in Southern California, and that would be a, a position representing the cessationists. Um, pastor Ben Hurt, pastor of soul care, um, and Pastor Jamie, that is our campus pastor up in St. Joseph, Michigan, they came from a sovereign grace church before they came to Harvest, and that would be the continuationist position that believes all the gifts are still in operation today. And then um, we have actually the charismatic position represented. Our director of facilities, Lonnie Mullins, and his wife, Debbie, um, would represent this charismatic position. Lonnie was actually the pastor of a charismatic church before he came on staff with us. Now, of all the different staff members on staff at Harvest, who would you just suspect might be the most open to the energy and the power and the visible expression of the Holy Spirit. Who would you think that would probably be? Pastor Micah, of course. And actually, if you talk to Micah, you would find that he is actually the most skeptical and the most cynical. He's just one tick away from John MacArthur on this issue, okay? <laughs> he loves Jesus so much that he doesn't want Jesus to ever be faked in anywhere. So he's pretty skeptical of all that stuff. But um, we have, you say, well, how do you guys even get along on the church staff? I mean, you're probably fighting and fussing with this. We get along great. Now, I came from this cessationist background. I call myself recovering from my former cessationist Baptist background. I was taught in the church that I grew up in more about what the Holy Spirit could not do than what he actually could do. And so approaching this series and I put it off as long as I could. I, I was going to wrestle with the scripture and I was going to listen to God's spirit teach me on this issue. I've tried to read the scripture this week unfiltered through any lens of anything I've ever been taught. Just what does the scripture say? And I've got guys in every position that I know and love and respect so much so that I actually emailed one of them uh, this week 
the pastor of the largest charismatic church in our area. We don't, I knew I wouldn't agree on everything, but I just said, hey, can we just get together? I'm, I'm kind of searching and, and I just really want to know what the scripture teaches on this issue. And I would love to hear your perspective. And you know what? He emailed me back and this is what he said. He said, I would love the opportunity to meet and discuss these things. He said, I actually watched your message from April the 8th on the Holy Spirit. I'm on a journey myself coming from the extreme charismatic side to a little more center on some things. And so I look forward to the conversation. So we met on Friday and we had a wonderful time just discussing what happens in our churches and how these gifts are applied and actually what the scripture teaches and still wouldn't agree on everything. But let me tell you about some things that he said that I totally agree with and some things that I said that he totally agreed with. One of the things he said to me, he's like, Trent, there is so much going on in church in the name of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I said, I agree. And he said, I've watched people race up and down aisles, jump over pews, getting bopped on the head, slain in the spirit. And he said, to be honest with you, it is embarrassing. It creates so much confusion. And then when unbelievers walk in our service and they see all that, they think we're crazy. And they won't actually listen to us actually just talk about the gospel. It becomes a hindrance to evangelism. I said, I agree. And he said, he said, I so long for the people in my church to stop seeking the gifts of the spirit and to start seeking the Holy Spirit. I said, me too. Like, aren't we supposed to hate each other? Aren't we like supposed to debate and talk bad about each other in each other's churches? And I found so much of what he said, I agreed with. And then do you know what I said to him? I said, you mentioned some things that embarrass you. Let me tell you some things that embarrass me about where I've come from. It's about how little attention we give to the Holy Spirit. I'm embarrassed by the fact that my people walk in and out of the doors of my church with no emotion, with no adoration, with no openness to the spirit, who sing songs about expecting the spirit to speak and show me your glory and yet do nothing in their own lives individually or collectively to cultivate the spirit of God. That's embarrassing to me. It's people who come to church and go through the motions of their religion in the flesh. And I told him, I am convinced there has been more damage done by people who neglect the gifts of the Spirit than people who abuse the gifts of the Spirit. And he said, me too. <laughs> wow, we agree on so much. And so we're both on this journey. And so as we've tried to study this passage, as we've tried to understand what the scripture says, let me just say to you this, I have found nothing in the scripture that would lead me to believe that the gifts of the spirit have ceased. Now, there are some things I see in the scripture that have ceased. It's the office of apostles. There were only about a dozen apostles who lived with Jesus. They observed the resurrection. And when they went out to plant the church and spread the gospel, they did miraculous things. They healed people on demand. 
I mean, they didn't even pray about it. They just walked up. It's like, get up and walk. And people got up and walked. That's a, that's a little different than what goes on today. Uh, when they spoke and they prophesied, somebody wrote it down like that's going to be in the Bible. And, they, and what we have is a record of what they prophesied. Um, if you prophesy, we're not going to add that. That's not going to be an appendix to the Bible. Okay. So there's a little difference in what was happening with those dozen apostles and some of their friends and actually what is going on today. We see throughout the history of the biblical record, three seasons of intensified work of the Holy Spirit where all kinds of signs and wonders took place. The first era was with Moses during the Exodus. Remember all those miracles he did to bring them out of Egypt? And then there was a little bit of a fading and a diminished work of the Spirit. And then there was this heightened, accelerated work during the season of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Lots of miracles recorded there. And then it diminishes for a season, hundreds of years, until we get to Jesus and the apostles. And all of a sudden, there's this explosion of miracles, signs, and wonders. And then there was a diminished role for this, the, the gifts and the sign gifts throughout the New Testament. But just because there's a diminished role doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect the Holy Spirit to do everything and anything he's already done in any previous age. And so we need to be open to the use of all of the gifts of the Spirit. And listen, this is a secondary issue. We should be mature enough to disagree about this and be able to worship together, lock arms together, and fulfill the Great Commission together. I may be totally wrong. This is an open-handed issue. It's not the primary thing we're trying to do here. By God's grace, this issue will never be a point of division at harvest. But I would say this. You probably come to this church because you love the Bible. It's our middle name. Do you know why I believe the gifts haven't ceased? Because our first pillar is believing in the authority of God's word without apology. That's why I believe the gifts haven't ceased. And if you love the Bible, you can't skip over the parts of the Bible that you don't really quite know what to do with. For a preacher that has given his life to bring clarity to God's word, can I tell you how frustrated I've been this week? Dealing with the mysterious things of the spirit We need to allow for the mystery of the Spirit without losing our grip on the clarity of the Word of God. And so let's talk about what it means to embrace these spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you five things about spiritual gifts. Here's the first one. Spiritual gifts glorify God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 speak of these spiritual gifts, and he tells us the purpose of them. Each has been given a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace or gift. Same word, varied gifts. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever. Please understand, God does not give you spiritual gifts so you can make much of yourself. God gives you spiritual gifts so you can make much of Jesus. You don't use the gift 
on yourself. It is a matter of glorifying and magnifying the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It is to make much of his life and his teaching and his ministry, his exaltation. That's why God gives good gifts to spiritual people in the church. Number two, spiritual gifts build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, as a matter of fact, you can flip over to chapter 14 now, we'll stay there. In chapter 14, verse 12, he says, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit. Are you, are you eager for the manifestation of the Spirit? Now, the word manifestation just simply means display. It's God on display. It is making God visible. God makes himself visible. He makes himself known. He authenticates, he's real through the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, if you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit. That's what, I, that's what I desired when I came to church. I didn't come to church to see Micah. I didn't come to church to see you. I came to see the Spirit of God at work in you. And so he says, if that's your desire, if, that, if you're eager for that, strive to excel in building up the church Don't tell me that you're all spirit-filled and spirit-gifted if you're sitting on the sidelines on Sunday morning not building up the church. Don't tell me you're spirit-filled if you're not connected to the church. If I could just get everyone in our church filled with the spirit, do you know how that would reduce the counseling load on our soul care pastors? Do you know how that would accelerate ministry Do you know how that would multiply leaders? Do you know how that would fulfill the mission of this church? If we could just get some manifestation of the spirit out of you coming from your spiritual gifts, the gifts aren't for you. They're to be used serving others. Many of you love us and have appreciated us. Some of you have even given us gifts from time to time. Thank you. But a lot of times what we do, we, we have a cabinet in the bedroom that is actually used to store gifts that are given to us for the purpose of re-gifting them. Are you familiar with this concept, re-gifting? Okay. Now, now we're grateful for every gift, okay? And the best of the gifts we actually use. But some of the gifts actually go in the regifting cabinet so that when there is an opportunity to give a gift, we don't have to go to the store. We just go to the regifting cabinet and select a gift and send it on along. It's a very economical way to give a gift. Now, I want you to understand when it comes to spiritual gifts, You are not given spiritual gifts to use on yourself. Every spiritual gift is to be re-gifted. You are just simply the cabinet. The Holy Spirit sticks it in there. From time to time, He wants to take it out and use it to serve other people. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we'll need to finish that list next week. Pastor Trent Griffith has been reminding us that the spiritual gifts we receive from God are meant to bring Him glory. It's not all about us. It is all about Him. That's a guiding principle for us here at Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. 
And if you want to come visit us for a worship service, it would be great to have you. For more information about service times and locations, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent teaches about the gift of tongues. We'll look at what God's Word has to say about it. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.